Hallelujah. Well, I've been sharing, and I want to share uh, just briefly tonight. We have some baptisms at the end of the service, which is always so, so exciting. But I wanted to share a little more on what I was sharing uh, on Friday night, for those of you who were here. I was sharing about the divine romance of God, the love of God, which is so rich and so powerful. The heart of the Father is that we would know his love. We love because he first loved us. And his desire is that we would know him who is love. Because it's only when we know him, it's only when we see him that we can be like him. It's only when we see him that we can respond. The Father is looking, Jesus said, for worshippers who worship him in spirit and truth. That is those who would have a revelation of him continually being revealed to them so that they could continually respond. Hallelujah. And he's looking for us to be able to respond to him. He wants to give us a revelation of who he is. Song of Songs, chapter 6, is beautiful. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. It says this, My beloved, you are striking lovely, even in your weakness. When I see you in your beauty, I see a radiant city where we will dwell as one. More pleasing than any pleasure, more delightful than any delight. You have ravished my heart, stealing away my strength to resist you. Even hosts of angels stand in awe of you. Turn your eyes from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist the passion of the eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance, my ravished heart undone. Held captive by your love, I'm truly overcome. For your undying devotion to me is the most yielded sacrifice. The shining of your spirit shows how you've taken my truth and become balanced and complete. Your beautiful blushing cheeks reveal how real your passion is for me, even hidden behind a veil of humility. You know, we love because he first loved us. And while we were yet sinners, he loved us and gave himself for us. This love is beyond our ability to comprehend. It's more more glorious than we've ever dared to imagine. Now, the poets throughout the centuries, Keats and Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Shakespeare, how shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Oh, how I lovely, let me count the ways. I mean, they, they have waxed lyrical about these magnificent concepts of romance and love, and yet it's only a shadow of the one who is love himself. The emotion that he has to us, toward us, is real and it is powerful. God has emotions. You were created in his image and you were created to respond to him. Now, the just live by faith, not by emotion. But God's heart towards you is not just cerebral. He doesn't, you know, love you because that's what I should do and it's a good concept. He feels it. He loves us with a love that's beyond our capacity to emotionally handle, beyond our capacity to physically or spiritually comprehend. That's why he says, pray for supernatural strength so that you can begin to understand it and receive it, because I want you to be filled up to overflowing with all the fullness of my love for you. His perfect love casts 
out fear. It empowers us and, and constraineth us, the Bible says. The love of God constraineth us. It is the love of God that gives us power to walk in holiness. Without his love, we have no hope of walking in holiness and righteousness, of paying the price, because we don't have the yes in us without him self living on the inside, shedding his love abroad in our hearts. It's his love that makes our hearts say yes. He keeps loving us until there's no left. Oh, yes, God. And his desire is that we would know this love in ever-increasing measure. You know, sometimes I just love the way the Lord speaks. He speaks to us all the time. He's trying to get our attention. The Bible says that all of creation declares the glory of God. That, you know, everything he created, the stars, the sun, the moon, the flowers, the trees, everything he did, he did because he is love and is a way that he communicates to us. It's declaring his love for us. You know, I take it personally. I do. When I see, I, I, when I see the flowers and uh, I've got these beautiful rose bushes that people planted for me and they're just magnificent. They've been blooming, the blue moons they're called. Oh, and they smell so amazing. And every time I walk past them and smell them, I'm reminded of God's love for me. You think, well, you know, what's that about? Well, God created those. He thought about what they'd look like, what they'd smell like before I was ever formed. And yet he was looking forward to the day that I would enjoy it. Because God is looking for opportunity continually to help us respond to his invitation to receive his love. Every sunset I see is an opportunity for me to stop and pause and say, thank you, God, you are beautiful. It's an invitation into a greater level of intimacy. It's an opportunity to feel and experience his affection and his love for us. He wants us to be still and know that he's God, and he gives us so many opportunities to do that. Hallelujah. He is altogether wonderful. And when he speaks about you and I, it's beyond our capacity to handle. So most often we just switch off and go, enough, enough, that's enough, can't handle anymore. But his spirit's crying out, oh, pray for supernatural help. I want to give you power by my spirit to be able to take some more. And you think, I can't take any more. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you power so you can have some more. People look and they they get this idea, one day I'm going to find the perfect man or the perfect woman who's going to fill my need for love. It's going to be so romantic. It's going to satisfy my every longing. The married ones are laughing. (laughs) There is love after marriage, but let me tell you. There is no human person that can ever satisfy fully the longing that you have. It's why we see people go from relationship to relationship. Well, you know, this one makes me feel that, you know, my last husband or my last wife, they, well, they just didn't, they, they were just cold. They weren't affectionate. This one made me feel so loving. But then after they've 
ruined everything and gone after this one, often they discover that, well, some of the things that were their strengths are now their, their weakness. And they discover that nobody has the capacity to be everything that they dream of. Because God alone is love. God alone has the capacity to love us. And he wants to so satisfy our souls that every relationship we have becomes a delightful added bliss, but not the source to meet our need. He meets all of our needs according to his riches in glory. And it's when you learn how to go and get it that you can have healthy relationships. Because instead of looking to everybody, drawing from them what you are longing for, what you're needing, the Holy Spirit wants to deeply overwhelm you and give you more than you can handle. So we must refine our focus and start responding to the invitations that he's offering. When you see the next beautiful sunset, instead of going, oh, that's nice, take a moment and let him invite you into a deeper revelation of his love for you. Because it's in that revelation that you will find satisfaction and joy beyond what anyone could ever give you. And it is that love that will empower you to say yes. Now, a lot of people, they hear the message of the gospel. They go, I agree, that's good. But when it comes to the crux of actually laying down their lives to lose their lives to receive his life, they can't go further. They're just not willing to take that step. And you know what? I don't blame them because a cerebral understanding of the gospel will never empower, empower you to be able to say yes. It'll never put within you a desire to, to give it all. It's only when you encounter the revelation of who he is that love conquers your heart. He wants so much to conquer us that we, we lose our, our desire and our fear of having to protect ourselves and, and look out for what we think we need, we come to a revelation that you are everything I need and anything you ask is, is nothing compared to what I received. You know, I, I shared on Friday about this, but I want to share it again with you today. Mark chapter 10. It's a story of the rich young ruler. It's a fascinating story, and I want to read it to you. It's starting in verse 17. It says this. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good, but one. That's God. You know, Jesus was there issuing an invitation. He was trying to provoke this young guy to see that there was revelation being offered. He was trying to say, hey, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. He was trying to say, I'm God. This is why you think I'm good. I want you to see. I want you to have a revelation because it's a revelation that will cause your questions to change. 
He came going, well, what can I do? I've done everything I know how to do. What else can I do to inherit eternal life? And yet the Lord was picking up on the opportunity. <gasps> Why do you call me good? It's the same thing he did to the woman at the well when he said, if only you knew who was asking you for water. <laughs> it was an opportunity for her to respond and go, who are you? This is what Jesus was doing to this rich young ruler. If you only knew, why do you call me good? Only God's good. Get it? You could hear it in his voice. But he was also saying, you know, when people think, well, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm a good person. He's helping him recognize that actually nobody's good. Apart from him, we can do nothing. I have no goodness apart from him. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because it's only in understanding that that we understand our need for him. He was helping him recognize because he loved him. He was helping him try to see, hey, I want you to recognize that in your old way of doing things, that you, you can't achieve holiness. You can't achieve righteousness. Yet the young guy didn't pick up on either of this. He just bowled ahead with what he thought he needed to hear. He, he bowled ahead in his own blinded self-righteousness. He says, um, he goes on and says, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. He was fully convinced in his mind that he was without sin and had done pretty good. He was fully convinced, yeah, I've dotted all my I's, crossed all my T's. He hadn't had a revelation of himself. And therefore, because of his blindness, because of self-righteousness, he was unable to see who Jesus was. He was unable to recognize his need for a savior, his need for forgiveness. And I love this. You know, it says in verse 21, then Jesus looking at him, loved him. I love it. We come puffed up and full of arrogance, full of, full of self-righteousness. And God doesn't look at us and go, oh man, you got no idea. He looked at him and he loved him. You know, you can love somebody with your eyes just with a look. This is what Jesus is so good at. You get one glimpse of his eyes, you're done, done, done. You can look at somebody and you can let the Lord love them through you just with a look. Have you ever seen God in someone's eyes? God's longing to show you, to reveal you himself. He looks at you and he loves you. Even in your weakness, even in your deception, he looks at you and he loves you. Oh, I love you. And he loves us so much. That he wants us to come to our senses and recognize that I'm offering you life. 
He looked at him and he loved him. This was another invitation he was giving to this young man, trying to distract him from his course of, I'm, a, I'm achieving, I'm achieving, I'm achieving. Give me something else to do and I'll achieve that too. He was trying to say, why do you call me good? He was trying to say, hey, well, look, there's a lot of commandments. And the guy's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. You tell me, give me, give me something else. I'll do that too. And he looked at him and loved him, trying to give him another invitation into relationship, but he just couldn't see. And so Jesus helped him, tried to, tried to help him come to his senses. And the prodigal son had a moment in the pig pen where it says he came to his senses, where he suddenly realized I need my father. I need help. You know, God wants to help us come to that realization because it's when we come to that realization that we'll go and get the help that he so longs to give us. He has given every one of us a free will to be able to respond to him. But until we humble our hearts and say, I want your help, I need your help. He stands there jealously longing to help us, but we don't have the connection until we turn to him and say, I need you, I want you. He wants to help us come to our senses and he, he, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, not to condemn them, but to help them recognize that he wants so much for them to respond to him. He said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know, sometimes we look at that and think, well, okay, is that the measure? Is that what I have to do to be able to make it? I have to be able to do that or I have to do that. If I sell everything, then I can make it. That is not what Christ was saying he was putting his finger on something that he knew this young guy wouldn't be able to give because he didn't yet have a revelation of who Christ was and without love you don't have the capacity to say yes to him without knowing him you will not find the the capacity to surrender all because you don't know that you have everything you need. Holy Spirit was looking to help this young guy go, you're right. You know what? I see shortcomings here. I see an incapacity to surrender all. He was only trying to help him to see that because he was trying to rely on an old system to gain entrance into the kingdom. Yet the law was a teacher to help us recognize our need for Jesus. All he could see was the law. I'm I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And Jesus had to show him, no, you're not. You're not going to be able to measure up. What about this? You're not going to be able to measure up. He didn't do it to make him feel bad and go away sad. He did it to help him come to his senses and recognize that he needed more. He needed a revelation. He needed a relationship. Now, people say, um, and many scholars say this, and I, I, I don't have 
I, I, we can't scripturally say this, but it, it makes sense to me that this young ruler may very well have been the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And it's interesting, you know, because Jesus goes on and the, the disciples say, oh man, that was tough, you know. And, and they say, can anyone get in? Can they, is it possible? And, um, and Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He was prophesying. This seems impossible. I've set the standard too high. Yes, but I want to show you that, thing, that we're going to enter into a new day where all things are possible. Where instead of trying to measure up on human standards, it's going to be supernaturally empowered to lose your life and find his and be empowered by the spirit of God to enter glory and enter the kingdom. Hallelujah. And he may have been prophesying about that young man. Interesting if it was. Then to go on and read all the epistles of, of Paul, who had a, now a revelation of righteousness by grace through faith, not of works. Hallelujah. Romans 15, verse 14, Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. He was speaking to those who'd been born again, knowing that Jesus had said that no one's good but God. He knew now that as new creations, those who had found him, had found revelation of Jesus and had responded to him were now full of God and therefore full of goodness. And the heart of the Father is that we would find him, that we would see him. Paul, Saul on the road saw God. He had an encounter with the person of Jesus, who he was, and he was changed. Now, the Bible says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. The Holy Spirit invites every one of us into supernatural revelation with his face. Invites us to know him. If you've been thinking, well, you know... I know I, I believe this, you know, cerebrally, but I, I'm just not willing to pay the price. I want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit wants to cause you to cry out, to say, Lord, I want to know you. And as you do that, he will make himself real and suddenly no price seems too high. It's like the woman at the well that we talked about. She, um, she had this encounter with Jesus, didn't know who he was, so he was trying to get her to see. And, um, and when he put his finger on the fact that the man she was living with was not a husband, things got very uncomfortable. She's like, hang on, uh, let's change the subject. Let's, you know, talk about religion. Uh, you know, the Jews say that we should worship on that mountain. We worship on this mountain. Which one's right? Because it was like, oh, this is getting a bit serious. She was coming to her senses and it just didn't feel comfortable. She was feeling, <gasps> but Jesus wasn't trying to make her feel uncomfortable for the sake of making her feel uncomfortable. He was helping her see. He was longing for her to see that I'm standing here as your lover. I'm standing here as the one who is the answer to your greatest needs. I'm standing here as the one who wants to give you mercy and forgiveness for your shame and your disgrace. 
And he, he responded to her so beautifully when she took the conversation in a religious track. He brought it right back to love. He said, it's not about which mountain or what form. It's about the, the father is looking for people who would have a revelation of who he is by the spirit of God, that they might then worship him in spirit and truth, that they might worship him out of a revelation. He was saying, that's the sort of worship I'm looking for. The father is looking for worship that is in response to a revelation, not in response to religion. And at that point, he was able to reveal himself. She was, she recognized, you're the Christ. She went and told the whole city. You see, God wants to bring us to the point where we say, there you are, I see you. Ah." Because it's at that point, all of the other stuff becomes irrelevant. What you do, what you don't do becomes irrelevant in the light of, I have found the one. It's like the, the guy that found treasure in a field. And when he found the treasure, he was just willing to sell everything to buy that field to get the treasure. He would not have been willing to sell everything and buy the field if he didn't know and hadn't found the treasure first. God looks for us to find him as our treasure. And only then do we then have the yes in our hearts to say, yes, I will surrender all. If you're trying to find it in yourself, you won't find it. But if you find it in his face, then it becomes nothing compared to his glory. Hallelujah. God's inviting us into revelation. He's inviting us into this incredible love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I mentioned it before, but it says this. I'm going to read it in the King James. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He's saying that this incredible love will cause you to understand that you are dead and that he's now alive. And out of that place, you have everything that you need, that nothing else is, you don't seek anything else because you have the treasure, you have what you need. And then in finding him, he adds all these things to you. And and it's a delight and a pleasure. He wants to lavish it on you because he knows it'll never hold you. It'll never be your source because you found the one thing. You found him. Hallelujah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. God's inviting you into encounter with who he is. He wants you to know him. He wants you to discover his great love for you. I heard some wonderful testimonies from Friday night of people who just, in response to the word, they just began to seek his face and had the most magnificent encounters with him. Seek and you will find, the Bible says. It's not, that's a word to the, to the bride. It's a word to everybody, whether you know him or not, if you set your heart to find him. You say, God, I want to find you. I want to know you. 
He will make himself real to you. He will reveal himself to you. And he doesn't want to do it as a one-off encounter. He wants it to be an everyday experience that causes you and provokes you to deeper and deeper levels of worship and intimacy until you become so full of joy, so full of hope that everyone around you is impacted with the glory that shines forth from you. He says, arise and shine. That's not a command that we have to try and muscle, you know, rustle up somewhere. He wants you to be so saturated, so filled, so provoked to revelation. He wants you to be recognizing the invitations and responding. He sings love songs over you. When he looks at you, he loves you. While you were yet a sinner, he loved you and gave his life for you because he saw you as valuable. Every person, uh, male or female, has a deep desire, a need in their heart to be valued, to be loved, to feel special. God has that capacity to fill that need and so much more. Every person has a desire, a deep need to fulfill their destiny. God has the power and the grace to do that for you. Every person has a deep need for love and affection, and yet the Father has so much more than you can even handle. His love for you is greater than you've ever imagined. If you can think of the most romantic love story, it pales in comparison to the intensity of the fire that, of the love that God has for you. There's fire in his eyes, you know. That fire is not, I'm angry at you. It's, I wanna, I'm consumed with love for you. I am consumed with love for you. And he loves you right where you are. He loves you in your weakness. He loves you in your immaturity. He looks at you and he goes, <laughs> You are altogether lovely. Even when our hearts condemn us, he's greater than our hearts. When we say, I'm dark, he says, you're lovely. He speaks truth to us until we, until we give up and we let his love conquer us and we begin to agree and say, thank you, God. We must come into agreement with how God feels about us. The reason he invites us into encounter, into revelation, is because he wants so much to set you free from the lies of the enemy, from the, the things that would surround you and tell you that you are inadequate, that you are not special, that you are not valuable. He wants to, to absolutely let his truth set you free. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person, and he wants to manifest himself to you. To the place that you go, oh, I'm undone. He goes, oh, wait, you haven't seen nothing yet. Ask for strength because I want to give you more. What would it look like if you gave yourself to being loved by God? His love would provoke you to love. We love because he first loved us. Our response to his love is to love him back. 
And in loving him back, we discover more of his heart and we love the people around us. We come into agreement with how he feels about us and we don't enter into arrogance. We enter into a holy confidence that says, whatever I ask, you'll do because you're magnificent. If our hearts don't condemn us, you are greater. We have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we'll receive. That's a pretty good invitation. Any area that your heart condemns you, any area where you aren't agreeing with how God feels about you, God is providing invitation for you to respond to him, to receive fresh revelation so that you can come into truth and into freedom and be set free from the lies that would try to constrain you. God wants nothing to constrain you but his love. His love will cause you to walk in holiness, in confidence, in power. Hallelujah. Right now, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you know in your heart you haven't had that, op- that, that moment where you've said, Lord, yes, I want to say yes to you. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal Christ to you. He wants to make himself so real to you. And when you get to see him, when you, it doesn't have to be a Damascus Road experience. It doesn't have to be an open vision. But when the Holy Spirit suddenly makes Christ real to you in your heart, you have the opportunity to respond and say, Lord, yes. I recognize that you are the Messiah. You are the Lord. And I want to respond to you. I want to say yes to you. I want to give you my life that I might receive your life, that I might receive eternal life, new life. I want to enter into the new covenant. I want to become a new creation in Christ. I want to step out of my old life and into the freedom of having relationship with you, of being brand new. It's called being born again. No longer under the system where you can't measure up, but into the the glorious covenant of love where you belong, where you are accepted, where you are empowered. Hallelujah. Where suddenly you have a new heart that has the motives of Jesus. Where you don't have to try and find it in yourself. It's just implanted. God gives you his heart. He gives you his yes. If you're here today and you say, I, I want to respond to the Lord. I want to say yes. I want to respond to who he is and say, yes, Lord, I want to be your child. I want to come into relationship with you. Would you wave your hand? I want to pray for you today. Is anybody here that says, yes, that's me? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else that says, yes, that's me? Just let me see your hand. It's such a powerful, powerful thing to do. Is there anybody else that says, yes, that's me? I want to respond to Jesus today. I want to come into relationship with him. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. Anybody else that says, yes, that's me. I want to respond to his mercy today. I recognize my need for him and I want to say, yes, Lord, come and be my savior. Is there anybody else that says, yes, that's me? Love to pray with you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you would. If you could just come, I want to pray for you. You know, there's something really powerful. When we make a a declaration, God, today's the day. 
I'm not ashamed of you. I choose you and I want to respond to you. Would you come? So wonderful. Would you reach your hands out to Eve and Christine right now? Would you pray this after me? Father God, let's pray it out loud. Father God, I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to be my savior. I believe he died and rose again. And right now, Lord, I give you my life. I give you all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my inability to measure up. I give it to you. And right now, I receive your mercy, your complete forgiveness, your grace. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me new on the inside. Today, Lord, I declare you are my God. Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.